Welcome to Failed Utopia, the podcast about utopian ideas and paradise lost. We look at utopian concepts of the past, present, and future, as well as utopian communities and cults, which promise the world to eager followers, but inevitably fail when it all starts to unravel. Hello, my wonderful failed utopians, and welcome back. First off, yes, you might have noticed I've been a little quiet for the past couple of months because life and stuff and, you know, work. I got really overbooked for a while, and I know, contrary to how it may seem, I do have a job and it's not podcasting. Anyway, I think I've got things pretty much under control and should be returning to my two-ish episodes a month for the remainder of the year. But isn't 98% of adult life just saying, oh man, things are crazy, but I'm sure they'll calm down after fill in the blank. But you're just saying that over and over again, forever. (laughs) Have you guys noticed that? Well, speaking of noticing things, with all the natural disasters in the news this summer, climate change sprang back into the world consciousness with a little more urgency than usual. We're all familiar with this pattern of talking about climate change in the context of climate-exacerbated disasters, like megastorms, catastrophic wildfires, flooding, unprecedented ice melts, and coral bleaching events. But then after a news cycle or two, we all go back to business as usual until the next catastrophe. Wow, look at it. One gorgeous hunk of rocky minerals covered by refreshing, sparkling water. Surrounded by an ideal, pillowy cushion of mostly nitrogen and oxygen, and a magnetic field that protects us from surges of radiation. Not too hot, not too cold, just about 93 million miles from our beautiful, shining sun that gives us all the energy we need for photosynthesis to support the entire food chain. It's just perfect. But how much longer will it stay that way? Despite the hysteria, confusion, and just general clusterfuck surrounding climate change, it's actually pretty simple. Since the Industrial Revolution, humans have been pumping massive quantities of greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide and methane into the atmosphere, resulting in changes to the planet's climate with the effect of making Earth much less hospitable for many living things, including ourselves. How do we fix it? Stop burning fossil fuels. I said simple, not easy. Here's one thing that I think the conversation around climate change tends to get wrong. We're not destroying the planet. It's not going anywhere. We're destroying us. If we make the planet uninhabitable for humans because of superstorms, mega droughts, and all the rest of it, 
Sure, a bunch of other species will also go extinct along the way, but others will survive, and those most fit to adapt to a changing planet will once again proliferate. There have been several mass extinctions in Earth's history, and that's exactly what happened, which makes climate change denial all the more perplexing. On the surface, it seems to go against the instinct of self-preservation, which we hold to be one of the most powerful instincts a living creature possesses. So what's the deal with the deniers? If they don't care about other species going extinct, don't they at least care about the humans? Part of the answer is right there in the name, denial. Denial is a self-protective mechanism that human brains engage in a lot. The problem is so big and so scary that for many people, their brain may be simply shutting it out to avoid hopelessness or panic. A second mechanism could be something called motivated interference. Basically, it means that we have motivation to ignore it because of a bias, like hatred of so-called big government, or because we're concerned about the people who work in the oil industry, or something like that. There are also the industry shills who are out there flooding us with propaganda and misinformation, which they are paid to do by corporate super polluters, which could be considered another category of deniers. There are also about 15% of Americans who think that God controls the climate, and therefore humans cannot be affecting the climate. This group skews toward evangelical Christians, Republicans, Trump supporters, and people who don't believe in evolution. I can see how climate science might be a hard sell to these folks. Quite a few Americans also believe that climate change is a sign of the biblical end times, which I guess is actually a good thing if you're just hanging out waiting for Jesus to get here. But here in 2021, climate deniers are actually getting pretty few and far between, though they do tend to be extremely vocal. Despite decades of scientists begging us to pay attention to this, I highly doubt that the decrease in the number of climate deniers has anything to do with an increased understanding of science on the part of the public. I think it's just that we've reached a point where climate change effects are happening now. So many more people are seeing it happening in real time, even in their own communities, rather than as some future problem for their grandkids to worry about. Grandkids are great at solving problems, like how to get the YouTubes off your email. I mean, if they can figure that out, they should be able to figure out climate change. It's pretty sad that it took things getting really, really bad to make people admit the problem, because. Now it's the 11th hour, and it's going to be a lot tougher to fix. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. Anyway, finally, the vast majority of people now accept the overwhelming scientific consensus on climate change. But that's the good news and the bad news. For decades, environmentalists and people who think about the future thought that if we could just get everyone to believe in climate change, that would be the solution to the problem. Because if everyone knew that climate change is real, we'd immediately get to work trying to avert planet-wide catastrophe, right? You'd think so, but it turns out that's not the case. Almost everyone now understands climate change, what it is, how we cause it, 
and that it presents an existential threat to our species. So why hasn't that solved the problem? Why have we still not acted to avert the crisis? Humans aren't great at thinking about the future. This results in people saying things like, we can't slow down on coal or oil because that would put people out of jobs. Well, if you only have the shortest term perspective possible, that sounds rational. We certainly don't want people out of jobs. But the coal industry has been dying for decades, and the fossil fuel industry jobs will dry up as soon as the oil does. Oil is a finite resource, and it will run out eventually. Or by the time we use it all up, we'll be extinct, and we won't have to worry about jobs anymore. Jobs are important, but there will always be jobs in the energy sector, no matter what kind of energy we're producing, clean or dirty. Or people say, it's too expensive to tackle climate change solutions. Guess what's more expensive? Not dealing with climate change. A lot of this is down to our brains having evolved to respond to things that are immediate and not much else. Big, complicated things in the future just don't get the same reaction in our brains. In fact, we barely comprehend them. Yes, I am worried about climate change, but what am I going to make for dinner tonight? And the rent is due. There's also the issue of paralysis in the face of the enormity and scope of it all. But you know what? That doesn't make much sense, given that we had several decades to address the problem before it started seeming insurmountable. It might not have been that overwhelming had we just started working on the problem as soon as we found out about it. It's like we had the entire term to write our paper, but we waited until the night before it was due to start working on it. And we decided to go to a frat party on the way to the library. And our professor will murder us if we don't get it done. Oh, and all of our classmates will also get murdered even if they got their papers done. <laughs> That's what it's like. I know, I know, some of you are saying, but wait, we are doing something about it. There are plenty of us out here who care about this and we're taking action. I bring reusable bags to the grocery store. I ride my bike to work for Christ's sakes. Uh, yeah, I, I know. You've been making some changes and you're getting that carbon footprint slimmed way down. But here's the thing. You might be focusing on the wrong thing because your carbon footprint is a total scam. Literally, it is a scam. Which brings me to the third problem leading to inaction, which is that the companies and industries that contributed most to the climate problem have spent decades working the levers of power and churning out propaganda to keep us from doing anything about it when we still had the chance. BP, the oil company, came up with the idea of the carbon footprint back in 2005. Well, technically speaking, it wasn't BP, but the marketing company that they paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to to come up with a genius publicity campaign to get the public off their back about the whole climate change thing. By 2005, companies were starting to realize that straight-up climate denial was a losing strategy because so much of the public had finally come to accept that climate change is real 
and we are causing it, mostly by burning fossil fuels. So they had to pivot to something more palatable. Enter the personal carbon footprint. The idea behind the carbon footprint is to get people asking how their individual personal actions are causing carbon emissions and how they can lower those emissions by changing their own behavior. It's your responsibility as an individual to reduce your carbon footprint turned out to be an amazingly effective way to deflect attention away from the fossil fuel companies. The phrase really caught on and even environmental groups picked it up. We wasted years talking about carbon footprints. And I get it. On the surface, it sounds really reasonable. If we all just do our little part, then collectively, we can stop climate change. Well, if you think about it for more than two seconds, there are a couple of problems with that narrative. I can go on and on, but let me just cut this to the chase. If you personally cut your carbon emissions completely, as in down to zero, for the next 70 years, you still wouldn't be offsetting one second of emissions by the global energy sector. That's right. Even the absolute most dedicated climate activist that ever lived cannot even make a dent, personally. And even if you wanted to get your carbon footprint down as low as possible, no matter the cost to your quality of life, you still probably wouldn't be able to, because most of your carbon footprint is actually generated completely without your consent or control. This includes things like roads and all of the other vast amounts of infrastructure that surrounds us, not to mention the military, in most cases the source your energy comes from, the medical field, food production, and everything else that goes on around you without your direct control. I mean, yeah, okay, you can vote and you can write letters to your representatives or go to your local city council meetings and scream at everybody. But for the most part, we're surrounded by things that we don't personally choose on a daily basis, which is what constitutes most of our carbon footprints. Another problem with shifting the burden of fixing climate change to individuals is that about 60% of global emissions come from low or middle income countries where people are focused on just moving from poverty to the middle class. So even if the world's wealthiest people could be convinced to cut back their consumption, that still wouldn't fix the problem, though it would help some. Still, it doesn't seem feasible to get the world's wealthiest people to voluntarily live in smaller houses, stop traveling by plane, stop eating meat, etc. Or at least it hasn't worked so far, and there's not much time left. Case in point, emissions did drop a bit last year, 2020, because of the pandemic. But despite the extreme change in lifestyles, emissions only dropped a tiny amount and ultimately resulted in pent-up demand in 2021, not any lasting reduction. In fact, many parts of the world experienced greater demand in 2021 than ever before. Also, the carbon footprints of people who actively try to reduce their emissions are usually no lower than anybody else's. 
probably because the people who have time and money to spend being eco-friendly tend to be wealthier people who have bigger houses, drive more, buy more things, and eat a richer diet, not to mention just living in a part of the world where simply existing in the infrastructure results in a higher carbon footprint. Plus, most people are busy, frantically trying to stay afloat in our daily lives, and we do not have time to examine the minutia of every single decision we make for hidden climate impacts. How much time does the average person have to spend researching plastic-free toothpaste options or agonizing over whether to buy organic butter in a plastic tub versus factory farm butter in a cardboard package or trying to figure out whether the sustainable seafood label on that package of fish actually means anything? Leaving every decision in the hands of individual consumers rather than addressing the whole supply chain is extremely inefficient and impractical. So basically, what the fossil fuel companies have done is divert our attention for years using misinformation and misdirection to get us to focus on our own relatively tiny carbon footprint that we have little control over while distracting our attention from their gigantic carbon footprints. You might be thinking, Anna, yes, they've been pumping out oil from the ground as fast as they can for decades, but we are the ones using it. Of course it's our fault. Well, here's the thing about the carbon footprint stunt. It's not an isolated event. The fossil fuel industry has engaged in decades of this type of fuckery. Their own scientists were some of the first to raise the alarm about climate change several decades ago, yet they spent all the intervening years pouring millions into ad campaigns to greenwash their image, while turning around and donating huge sums of money and lobbying politicians to block regulations, environmental standards, and alternative energy, all in service of their short-term profits. The fossil fuel industry has created the world in which we're reliant on fossil fuels and don't have many other viable options because fossil fuel companies squashed them. It would be tough to say that consumers have an honest choice between fossil fuels and something else. So is BP the villain here? Is it just the evil fossil fuel industry that led us into this catastrophe? No, there are plenty of bad guys to go around. But it's worth noting that just 100 companies have emitted about 70% of global carbon emissions since 1988, with ExxonMobil, Shell, BP, and Chevron among the highest emitting entities. If fossil fuels continue to be extracted at the same rate over the next 28 years as they were between 1988 and 2017, said the Carbon Majors report from 2017, global average temperatures would be on course to rise by 4 degrees C by the end of the century. But aren't things changing, you ask? Every day I see major corporations, including these fossil fuel companies, making net zero pledges. Right. Remember what I just said about PR and greenwashing? There are a lot of companies coming out and saying that they want to do something about climate change. They finally realized that there's a consensus on this, and customers want to know what the companies they buy from are going to do about it. 
Enter the climate-friendly marketing campaigns. Now, most of these companies vowing to get to net zero or carbon neutral by some future target date are relying heavily on carbon offsets to get there. Sounds good, but what is a carbon offset? Basically, a company that emits carbon can keep doing what they're doing, but go out to a carbon market and purchase a project that will prevent someone else from emitting carbon. It could take the form of paying somebody not to cut down their forest, or putting money into an alternative energy project somewhere, or something like that. Maybe for the first second and a half, this sounds like it'll do a lot of good, but. We can already call bullshit on any plan to combat climate change that begins and ends with continuing to extract fossil fuels from the ground. Researchers say that fossil fuel producers need to leave 90% of coal reserves and 60% of oil and gas reserves in the ground by 2050 to even give us a chance. So we just debunked carbon offsets in the last 10 seconds, but I'm gonna keep going because it gets much worse. A lot of carbon offset projects turn out to be useless in the long term because they aren't permanent. It could be that somebody sold a carbon offset to keep their forest standing, but maybe after a couple years they end up cutting it down anyway. Protecting chunks of forest here and there also leads to a race to cut down everything around it before it becomes protected, as has happened in the Amazon. Or maybe the offset was totally on the up and up, but five years after it sold as an offset, it burns down in a massive forest fire. Guess what forest fires emit into the atmosphere? Yeah, does that sound like a carbon offset to you? A good carbon offset project also has to be exclusive, as in you can't sell the same project to a bunch of different people who are all counting it in their offset tally. And it also won't help if there's a green energy project already happening, and then a company throws some extra money at it for an offset, but the project was going to be completed regardless. There is no reduction of emissions in that equation. Carbon offsets may be a good idea in theory, and I'm sure that the majority of people out there creating these offset projects are honest and have the best of intentions. But sadly, in practice, carbon offsets alone probably won't do much to reduce global emissions. Research by the Task Force on Scaling Voluntary Carbon Markets shows that less than five percent of carbon offsets actually remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Plus, carbon dioxide isn't the only greenhouse gas that contributes to global warming. In short, the large companies that produce the vast majority of global carbon emissions don't care about climate change and do care about short-term profits. In fact, they are legally obligated to care about short-term profits because they have shareholders. They also have a lot of money to spend on marketing companies. Who are masterful at creating diversions to keep the public talking about anything else? For another really similar example of this, you should really check out my episode about recycling. That was episode number sixteen. I mean, think about it: these companies wouldn't have to do all these gymnastics with carbon offsets and everything else if they actually cared about the climate. 
Literally, all they have to do is stop lobbying against climate legislation and funneling millions of dollars in donations to legislators who are climate deniers. Oh, and, you know, reduce their own emissions. The bait and switch is so obvious, but we always fall for it. Even if most everyday people have the time or desire to look into these corporate claims of going green further, many people would have no idea how to do that. Sadly, do your own research has become the rallying cry of society's most ignorant and conspiracy theorists. Here's one final thought on the bait and switch. Do you think that BP would have created the carbon footprint campaign if they actually thought that it would result in a reduction in fossil fuel consumption? Of course not. They never would have spent money on an ad campaign with the intention of selling less of their own products. That shows that they pretty much knew the carbon footprint thing was a scam and wouldn't lead to any reduction in carbon emissions. And it hasn't. Emissions have only gone up. Guys, we just can't rely on the world's largest companies to do the right thing on their own. Even if we as consumers tell them that's what we want, they'll get the message and they'll change their advertising. But that seems to have little to do with changing their actual practices. Only changing regulations can do that. So does that mean that nothing we do matters and we can just go about our lives emitting as much as we want because it won't make any difference? No. Here's the argument for doing your teeny tiny part. If you're in the category of people who can afford to buy a car, fly in an airplane, choose the type of energy that powers your house, eat meat, buy a new smartphone every year, take vacations, and stuff like that, you can afford to vote with your wallet. Buying an electric car, choosing a clean energy option from your utility if you have the option, even if it's more expensive, and eating alternative meat products are the actions that will ultimately drive the cost of those options down for everyone else and drive the quality up. In other words, if you can afford to make these choices now while they're expensive, it will help make those choices available to everyone else down the line because increased demand will make companies innovate and produce more of these things so they can make more money. And obviously, the other way that we can all do something small that will actually make a big difference is by voting for the political candidates who will do something about the systemic causes of climate change rather than sit back and line their pockets with millions of dollars from industry donors. Now, I'm not going to talk about this really at all because it's obvious and because I simply don't believe this is going to happen. Here in the United States, we're still asking ourselves if Donald Trump is an okay presidential candidate. As I said, most Americans do believe that climate change is a big problem and understand that we are the ones causing it. But that just doesn't translate to the ballot box. Some voters say that they'll be basing part of their decision on climate change, but it always trails way behind other issues like the economy and healthcare. I would argue that climate change constitutes a huge part of both of the aforementioned, but what do I know? Yes, I'm sure it's a net positive for climate that Joe Biden is now in office and has said he's going to do something about climate change, 
but it takes Congress to actually get things done permanently. Executive actions have their limits. Also, Joe Biden was not one of the most aggressive candidates on climate in the 2020 primaries. Just saying. People had a lot to worry about in 2020 besides climate change. But my level of confidence that Americans are going to start voting in candidates en masse who are willing to do what it takes on climate change is close to zero. Sorry, I don't have any optimism to offer you on that front. I feel only slightly more optimistic about global leaders generally. One need only look at the past and present actions of the world's largest emitting countries to see why a recent global survey showed 75% of the world's young people have climate anxiety, and over half said they think humanity is doomed. They're not despairing because it's impossible to fix the problem. It's because the world's adults are simply unwilling to do so. Imagine how that would feel. A few years ago, everybody got really, really mad at Donald Trump for pulling the United States out of the Paris Climate Accords. I didn't care about it then, and I don't care about it now. Guess why? The Paris Agreement didn't really do anything, and I'm not sure why anyone thought it would. It was simply a set of non-binding promises with no enforcement mechanism and no incentives for the parties involved to follow through. Unsurprisingly, countries have not followed through on these non-binding promises. I don't see this much differently than I see all of the net zero promises that corporations have been making left and right. It's good PR, but has little to no relationship whatsoever to doing something about the problem. When the U.S. elected Joe Biden, he promptly added the U.S. back to the Paris Climate Accords, too much fanfare from the United States political left. But what did that accomplish? Nothing. It's just talk, and to be completely frank with you, we have blown way past the time when talking is acceptable. Maybe the world's countries coming together to have a conversation about climate change could have been perceived as progress 10, 20, or 30 years ago, but today we absolutely must implement big changes right now. Even if we don't have all the information, and even if we don't agree about any of it, And even if it costs a lot of money, or we don't think China's doing enough, the needle's in the red. Talking about things at fancy global summits is harming us, not helping us, because it makes it look like something is being done when it's not. Talking about plans that don't happen is the worst thing we can do, because now we've wasted the time and energy of the very people who actually have the power to make the needed changes happen. By the way, the idea of the 2015 Paris Agreement was to try to keep global warming to about 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, at which point scientists estimate that climate impacts will be severe, but that estimate gets ratcheted up to catastrophic at anything past 2 degrees C, at which point they predict the changes to the climate will be beyond civilization's capacity to adapt. Five and a half years on, none of the world's leading economies, including the entire G20, are anywhere close to meeting their commitments. And the world is barreling toward a three-degree temperature rise by the end of this century. Even if countries were on track with the Paris Agreement, 
we'd still be heading to somewhere close to two and a half degrees rise. Now, I know some of you are sitting there screaming, no, no, wait, what about Joe Biden's climate plan? Again, this is undoubtedly a net good in terms of the environment. President Trump had rolled back quite a few environmental policies and Biden's been working on reversing those, but those are just small steps to get us back to where we were before. And I know that sounds kind of like progress, but again, it hasn't actually reduced our emissions, which is the only thing that will help. Emissions are going up. So what about going forward? What is being done and what can we do? Yes, there are so many things we can do. And we're going to talk all about that on the next episode. In part two, we'll be talking about energy alternatives, future climate policy, why the economy versus climate action isn't a zero-sum game, and more. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to help other people find it. Tell your friends about it. And if you want to support the pod directly and help keep new episodes coming, you can donate to the show through the link at the bottom of the show notes. Connect and stay in the loop on the website, failedutopia.com or the Facebook page at Failed Utopia Pod. Failed Utopia episodes are written and produced by me, Anna Roberts. The burning palm tree painting featured on the cover is by artist Perry Vasquez. My intro music is by Elliot Middleton. See you next time.